Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scotch Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello. In each episode, we'll invite a special guest to join us in trawling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back and let's shoot the breeze. Riggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does, he's scored! Oh, what a great backlash! He's done it! Today's guest is our first returning guest. Uh, it's one of the most popular podcasts we've had so far. It's Alan Jack. Welcome back, Alan. You're welcome, guys, in the afternoon. I hope you're all doing well in these current times. Yes, um, I'm I'm doing okay. I'm keeping myself busy. How about you, Tom? Yes, I'm keeping myself busy as well. And how about yourself, Al? Just taking away, taking away. I've just got to do it. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Listen, um, if 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 people are coming back to this from listening previously, then we'll know that um, you know it was a it was a fantastically interesting and funny and entertaining podcast that we had with you. Um, but they also know that we didn't get very far through the magazine. So <laughs> we, we, we basically got to pages eight and nine and didn't get past there. Um, so we're not going to go to a, a new magazine. We're going to, you know, stay with that one. We've, we've done the work on it. We've, we've done the research. Uh, we know it. So it makes sense that we, we do that. I mean, we have said to a few of our guests, especially in the early days, that we would get them back in this. So this is the first time we've been true to our word. So thank you for joining us again with that. Uh, so the magazine is the shoot magazine from the 12th of September 1981. So I'm just going to very quickly sort of skim over the stuff that we spoke about. So the front page had Kevin Keegan and his England kit. So we talked about that. There's um, World Cup special, talking about uh, Spain 82. Inside, Suicide Squad about Middlesbrough. There was a little bit about that. We looked at the Scotland versus Sweden game and there was a tartan talk with Danny McGrain where they spotlighted that. And from there, we also discussed Celtic's uh, pre-season tour in the Feyenoord tournament, which they won. The Swedes flattered to deceive. There was a few things about that. We we got into pages eight and nine, and we talked about about Paul Elliott. Um, so we we discussed Paul Elliott there and um, coming over from Italy. Mackay's rod of iron. So there was a set of rules that uh, Donald Mackay of Dundee had set down, which. Um, I mean, I, I like them so much, we can we can have a quick look at them. He says, no player may own a motorbike. No player should go ice skating. No discos three days before a game. No golf three days before a game. Uh, no socialising at all two days before a game. And no retaliation, dirty play or dissent. Just on that, was there, um, when you were playing football, did they have any rules like so that that, you know, you sort of thought, come on. There wasn't a... There was, you know, there wasn't any written rules, yeah. but golf, like, 24 hours before a game, yes. Going out 48 hours before a game and things like that as well, but good professionals knew their self and how to manage their self as well, you know. I think when you start, it's like just now, right, you start implying rules. Yeah. People, 
immediately want to try and bend those rules. Yeah. So if you like with Tommy Burns, he respected you enough as a as a as an adult, you know, to to abide, go and go and be professional. You know your job and mm. any any good professional that's out there will will, will abide by the rules. Yeah. There will be the old one that'll bend them, but there wasn't any written rules as such, but mm. you knew yourself what to do. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a good it's a good point you make there. Is as soon as as soon as you lay down rules that people are looking to see how far they can they can stretch them, you know. Yeah. Without, yeah. So I mean, that's a good point. So one one of the last things we spoke about was um it was about Pele in New York, and he met Celtic's John Clark in a lift. So and he you know this was in nineteen what was it nineteen seventy eight or something um, but he said Glasgow number six so he recognised him from playing Scotland versus Brazil in a friendly in Glasgow back in nineteen sixty six which is, I think was absolutely fantastic so we, we from that we we started talking about escape to victory Simon talking about how uh, he, John Mark's sister had come in um, yeah. and and John Mark had uh, lost his um, his top from the movie. So Simon being in, in that that you know he was doing retro um, retro football kits and stuff like that, and he managed to source or get one made and she came back in. So I mean that that was great news. And if you look on the website that we did for your original uh, podcast, we've got the photograph of John Walker on there as well. I did add the the team photo from Escape to Victory and stuff as well. There's a few things in there which is always worth looking at. So now now we're at new territory. So that was that was as far as we got. The rest of it was yeah, just um, lots of Jacko's wisdom and, <laughs> so, and and Simon's rambling. So, um, so the pages were at is just little short little short stories, um, little short pieces of news and things like that. So the one here is wages fifteen k plus at Grimsby, and this is manager George Kerr earns less than twelve of his players. Most players had a raise after a relatively successful season. But his wages remained the same, £15,000 per year. The chairman is quoted as saying, last time he asked for a raise, he got 8000 Let's see how this season goes. Now, George was born in Alexandria in Western Bartonshire in Scotland and was a forward as a player. He spent all his playing and managing days in England. He played at Barnsley, Bury, Oxford United and Scunthorpe and he managed at Lincoln City, Grimsby Town, Rotherham, Lincoln again and Boston United. So I think he's um his chairman is is basically saying you know earn it you know fifteen thousand pound if that's that's what you know not even first team players are on that a week nowadays aren't they? No, no. Do you know just as you're talking about Grimsby there and the uh, George Kerr, I just uh, realised that and when you said he's from Alexandria, yeah, a really good mate of mine um, is a guy called George Clark. Right. The Jordy he played with Patrick Thistle and uh, a few other clubs in Grimsby being one of them. Mm-hmm. And I'm just looking back at the the day, 82 wouldn't be a million miles away from it. Yeah. Um, he basically room shared with Steve Bruce mm-hmm. when he was at Grimsby. And that was one of his best mates. And George, funny enough, is an Alexandria boy. Right. So I'm just, I'm, I'm just wondering when yeah. he's in that there, yeah. if there's a connection somewhere along the lines. Yeah. Um, really, really good player George was as well, and he, he played in a really strong Patrick Thistle team as well. Right. But going back to the rules above, George George liked a bit of socialising and uh, a few other <laughs> things as well. You know, so yeah, yeah. but he'd be a very, very good player at this time. Yeah. Um, 
uh, and a good guy. So I'll need to actually talk to him about that one and ask him that question with George Taylor. Yeah, it'd be certainly very interesting to hear that. I mean, it does seem to all fit together. So the next one is Tony Gordon rows with Albion. So news that Tony Gordon is seeking a transfer after being upset at not being on the same wage as others at the club. It's interesting to note that Gordon stayed with Albion until 1986, so another five years, but spent a large part of that out on loan to Luton, Walsall and Chelsea. They obviously never really resolved the problem. Um, next one is on Ian Porterfield at Sheffield United, and there's a quote from John McPhail, who's the centre-half at United, on the new manager Porterfield. He says, He has quickly got the boys in the right frame of mind, winning instant respect. Basically, your standard media quote response was alive and well, even in 1981. You know, it's like, what do you think of your new boss? Oh, he's, he's got the boys. Oh, they're right in the right frame of mind. That's that's straight out of, you know, Rule Book 101 on giving interviews, yeah. isn't it? Just this one's called Briefly Alfie Con, and it's just news that Alfie Con has signed for his sixth British club. Rangers, Celtic, Hearts, Spurs, Blackpool, and his new club, Motherwell. Brian McNeil of Hearts, and news that Hearts have signed Jordy Brian McNeil. So we're on to page 10, and this is Ray Wilkins writes for you. So that's a personal personal um, written article here for you, Alan. One of a number of regular features by famous names of the day. The article has the heading, England will qualify for Spain. So in the article, Ray compares Norway's pitch with the Maracanã, one of the worst pitches he's played. He makes a point that he hopes they, Norway, don't sit back and play for a draw as they don't have anything to play for. So so England, just the background there, England are playing Norway in the World Cup qualifiers here. And so he says, why not have a go and try to win? Now, we know, with hindsight, what game this was. This was the game um, that Norway did win. And it was the one, uh, Mrs Thatcher, your boys took a hell of a beating. Yeah. So... So they, they took they took Ray's advice here and went out and they didn't sit back. I mean, to be honest, I don't, I don't really remember much about how the game went in terms of, you know, whether it was a hit in the break or so. It could have been a hit in the break and they did sit back. Have you noticed watching the the reruns of the football they now, going back seasons past, mm. and the amount of comments on social media about, you know, the, the games were like 4-3 and... You know, high-scoring games, but attacking football pitches were terrible. But everybody's commenting how excited it was yeah. compared to the game nowadays. Yeah. The game nowadays yeah. is so—I don't know if um, sterile is the right word. Yeah. Um, so um, it's deliberate football. You know, it's like they've got a routine, and you know, as I spoke about back then, the kids are drilled into them. Yep. You know, like you know. Keep the ball, you know, be safe pass, safe side, everything safe. Whereas in these days, you know, it's right what Ray Wilkins is saying there, have a go. Mm. People tended to have a go more and, you know, it was more exciting. One of the last games, I and, I and I'm only going back maybe 90s, 95, 96, the Liverpool and Newcastle game yeah. the other night there it was on. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Keegan just slumps across the board. Yeah, right. <laughs> And Stan Colin Moore, I think, scored two goals. Yeah. Now, the pitch, was, the pitch wasn't great. Mm. The guys were probably still earning a reasonable amount of money for the time. Yeah. But yet, it was enjoyable. It was so enjoyable. And it does make a difference when two teams come out to try and win. I think, see that game, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I'm sure... So the game was probably on a Saturday or a Sunday or something like that. 
And um, I'm sure during the week they showed the whole game again on BBC Two because yeah. it was so exciting. Because it was just like one of these yeah. out of nowhere mm-hmm. games. It was, it was a game that came out on videotape at, at a time when it was rare for full, just a regular league match to come out on video, mm. the whole match. Yeah. But, but you're right also about the, the sterility of the game. I, I may have mentioned this before, but just would have been three years ago or something, two or three years ago, I went to Leeds United game. I don't know if they were playing Charlton or something like that at Elland Road. And it was, you know, it was really athletes both sides it was you know they moved the ball about the first touch was brilliant they killed it the passing was great sharp blah 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 and you know but basically it was all just it was a game of chess it was just you know tactical it was it was sterile it felt there was nothing you know it didn't I didn't enjoy it it was like okay I can appreciate the athleticism I can appreciate the great touch I can appreciate the pings of the ball but it's like you know, they they move a little bit by field and then the opposing team would counteract it and they'd move back and, and it was just like that. It was just two teams who were nullifying each other out tactically and there wasn't anything happening. There's nothing spontaneous happened. You spoke earlier before we go on air uh, regarding David Cooper. Now, as a kid, I still love going and watch David Cooper. Yeah. I still love him. I remember a game at Ibrox, um, European game, and honestly... He's so one-sided with his left foot, but he just walked around about, you know, I think there was about six or seven players. He just walked around and yeah. they couldn't get anywhere near him. We don't have that anymore now. And he wasn't quick either. Yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't like rapid quick, but he could play. Mm. He could play, you know, and he actually, there's actually, you know, you've probably heard it about pre-season and they were all up the front and David Cooper's seemingly running at the back or something like that. And he turned around and he said to somebody, throw my ball. Basically meaning, throw the guys in front of the ball and you'll see the difference, basically. Yeah. He can't play. And I think that's what we've done. The game's evolved into this athletic game, a game of chess-like, mind games with managers, formations, setups, tactics, and air. Yeah. Deliberate that's that's exactly the way it's, it's boring. Mm-hmm. I know people that go and watch junior games now rather than going to spend their money yeah. going and watching games because yeah. there's a bit more excitement in it. That's me, that's Tom. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've watched a, a few games over the last few weeks, it's one of the things to keep me going. And there's see if you watch it's on YouTube the 1993 playoff final at Wembley between Swindon and, and Leicester, and uh, Swindon went 4 3. But the two teams go at a ham. Sorry. Was that Glenn Hoddle, Tom? Aye, it was, it was Hoddle's team, Hoddle's playing then, yeah. Uh, the two teams go at it right for the kickoff. 90 minutes, just attack after attack for, for, for both teams. Mm. It finishes 4-3, 3-0 Swindon, and then Leicester pull it back three each. But it's a, it's an amazing game because the two teams are just going for it the whole match. Yeah. They, they don't even sit at 3 nothing. they don't even sit back and try and defend. But what have you got to lose? It's what I said the last time, you have nothing to lose. And also, you've got to remember... These people that are going to watch that, they're paying, they're paying your wages, they're indirectly they're paying your wages. Mm, yeah. And also at the same time, you've got to entertain these people because if you don't entertain them, Andy, you mentioned it last time about the product. Yeah. If the product's not there, people will not go back when we spoke about Scotland. And it's still this it's funny that we're talking about it again, actually, <laughs> with Ewokins introducing us regarding Norway. Yeah. You know. And the other thing that I'm quite shocked that Ray Wilkins mentioned as well, because I loved Ray Wilkins, I thought he was a great player, but He's talking about the state of the pitch. Yeah. 
Well, I think even remembering um, was it the Spain World Cup and they were. I, I don't even think all the pitches were great in that. And did he, did he gets sent off in Spain or was it Mexico? He got sent off. Uh, Mexico, he gets sent off. Well, maybe Mexico then. And I think you know the pitches were really dry and stuff there. But I, I was looking at. I can't remember it was a, a video on Twitter um just the other day and it was it was two English teams and it was a, like a mud bath they were playing in yeah. and it was absolutely incredible and but it's you know they were just they were dealing with the situation so rather than trying to play the ball along the ground they were sort of you know raising it off the and, and moving it in little increments and stuff like that and it's yeah you know it, a, a lot of the exciting games that we talk about you know, nostalgically, it's they're exciting because they're basically, you know, a lots of mistakes and there's lots of, you know, errors and things like that going on. And it's like, but then again, I'd rather have that than two likes of this Leeds game where where both teams are doing exactly what they've trained all week to do. You know, the 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 following the orders, the you know, they're, they're moving as a unit. Then you know, and. And nothing happens. I think it ended up there was there was one goal. I think it leads maybe one one nil or something like that. But it was like, man, I, I couldn't come and watch that every week. I wouldn't, even, you know, it's it's not it's not what I want from football. I, I want the yeah. the the Motherwell Hibs was it? I want that the six five uh, six each six each was it six each? I want games like that. You know the the seven one games. We've got to get a mention of the seven one games in every week. So you know. I'd rather have teams that, that, as you say, give it a go and entertain. Because, I mean, they, they do say, oh, it's, it's an entertainment, which uh, it's a business and things like that, which I, I don't like when people say that, you know, we're, we're in the business of football. It's like, no, it, it's 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 not quite that. But the tournament pitches, I don't know if you've seen it yeah, yesterday, because uh, Alan Hudson's, Alan, somebody put up uh, four pictures of Alan Hudson. Uh, and th- three of them, one of them, he was playing for England. I think it was against Malta, and the pitch is like sand. Yeah. And then there's another one where it's snow, and there's another one where it's a mud bath. Yeah. It was, it was just each one of them, you could see that the pitch was completely different for the other, and none of them what you would call I- ideal surface for football. But that's the kind of thing that you just sort of go on, go on with in those days. And again, when we had Stephen Miller for the Rangers archives on, I was talking to him about one of the. One of the games on his YouTube channel, which was Morton Rangers at Capolo, and it's not only snow, but the players are skidding a bit as well. A game that would just never get played <laughs> uh, these days. Three all, three all draw in the in the snow and ice. Yeah, but, but yeah. you, I'll, you'll know that because it's the industry you're in. But you know the grounds and stuff. But it's I've, I've played with amateur players and stuff like that who come out and. They're like, look at the state of that ground. We're not playing in that and stuff. It's like, get, get, you know, they, they start because because lots of grounds, even at lower level, are some of them are absolutely fantastic these days, and and it's like that's what even amateurs are getting used to, and they start expecting yeah. that. And if there's if there's um, a little bit of mud or something, they're like, they're just spoiled. Yes, that's exactly. They're, they're spoiled. We spoke about that the last time as well, and it's like. We've got this cotton wool society nowadays. Yeah. It's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But yeah, that that's a topic we could end up on for hours again, <laughs> guys. And, and you know, it's a sore point. And I mentioned him the last time. My big mate Stuart Robertson, and he played in goal for a lot of clubs as well. And we were actually talking about it because both boys play. And 
he actually said when he was playing with Mary Hill one night training, he says they were out in the car park with shopping trolleys for goals. Mm. Because, you know, and I'm going away back early doors as well. And he's like, he's just done it. Yeah. He's just he just done it because that's what the love of the game was like. You know, you had to do it. Mm. You know, and I remember at Shelton, we'd be training a gravel pitch next to a, a, an AstroTurf pitch with the lights on because we, we couldn't get in. So we just trained at the gravel pitch at the side of it. Yeah. So people don't understand. We have a, a cotton wool society. That's yeah, exactly yeah. what it is. And at Rossdale, I remember uh, at Rossdale, the guys were complaining about certain things. And I'm like, really? What, what are you up against? I, I, I gave them a, a back-end session one night and they couldn't handle it. Yeah. They couldn't handle it. And it was nothing out of the ordinary because they're not used to it. Yeah. They're thinking, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's... it's it is a society thing. You could be on it for a long, long time, Andy, to be fair, you know? I don't think it's anytime soon. Yeah, I always, I always come back to this sock tape and stuff like that, and it's like, that's, that's the... This, you know the way things are at the minute that you have that all these sort of levels and it's like oh come on let's just go out there and play a game of football you know exactly. and, and deal with the conditions I mean it's it's not it's not as if one side of the park is pristine and the other's muddy is it and no, no exactly mate exactly as I said to you before again the saying that I had was it's 11 v 11 the boys are in the grass is green hmm. just go and play yeah. that's it's as simple as that but going back to Ray Wilkins I know we all like our Twitter, we like our social media. I don't know if any seen the montage of Ray Wilkins. I might have actually been that guy, Stephen Miller, from Rangers Archives. Right, okay. But I don't know about you, but Ray Wilkins was one of my favourites, to be fair. Yeah. He was absolutely outstanding. I mean, if you think about this, he played in Italy, played for Man United, yep. played with Chelsea, played with Milan. Mm-hmm. I think, was he known in France as well? Yeah, it's Paris Saint-Germain. And, you know, played with Rangers. Yeah. You don't play with clubs like that unless you are a quality player. And I'm not just mean, and it, it goes back to that saying, remember when Sunas stopped management and he said, so this was a great comment he made, he says, and he's on Sky Sports and that somebody asked him about, would you ever manage again? And he says, no. And he says, why not? He says, because we're paying mediocre players, great players' wages. Mm. And these mediocre players believe that they're great players and they're not. So their egos are a lot bigger than what they are. Yeah. But when you talk about great players, this guy, Wilkins, for me, is... I mean, he's passing. You talk about passing. Mm. And everything else. He was just so good. Exciting again. Exciting. Yeah. His, te- his, his technique was incredible. Absolutely incredible. And then another thing I think you've got to point out, I don't know if you've heard it in talk sport, about how much a, a good guy he was. Yeah. Um, where there was a there was a, a down and out guy in the street in London and the guy was at like begging. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wilkins basically the story is that Wilkins took the guy for a coffee, gave him twenty quid and told the guy he sort himself out and all this kind of stuff, sat with the guy for over an hour. The guy was, I mean, everybody in talk sports like blowing up. That guy ended up basically taking Wilkins' advice, went and squared himself up and went and got a job and he's married and everything else now. Hmm. You're sitting there, you know, there's no many people would do that in this day and age nowadays. Yeah. Where they spend a bit of time there, they've got that compassion. And I think when you hear a lot of players talking about him, 
he's one of the good guys. Mm. See, I, I think also, I, I really liked him as a as a, a pundit and as a co-commentator, starting from all the way back in the Italian football days. And it was, yeah. it was always, yeah. what I loved was, it was always, um, right boys and girls out there. You know, it was always encouraging the, 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 and it was always the boys and girls out there to, you know, look at these players, look at how they do these things. I liked that a lot. He was positive. Mm. Everything was positive. Yeah. And that's the difference in coaching styles. That's the difference in personalities with people nowadays. You know, even if you go back to the page before, talking about those rules again, that's a negative approach. Mm. It's a negative approach. Is immediately you put the backs up to the players. But if you go in with a positive approach yeah. and be, I'm not saying be relaxed, but be a bit more understanding, mm. you win the players over. You win the players over, you win their respects because that's what happens. And then if you give them the confidence and the positivity, it breeds. It, it absolutely breeds. And, and this guy, I think, just oozed that. Everybody he speak to was, you know, spoke highly. I mean, Jody Morris loved him, didn't he? Yeah, Jody Morris yeah. absolutely loved him. All the boys at Chelsea loved him. Yeah. Your Frank Lampard's because I think they were all on the scene. I know, I know Frank Lampard didn't set start his career there, but when he came to, to Chelsea, they just so much respect for the guy and I've just remembered one of the top teams that you missed out of course that he played for was Hibs Hibs <laughs> yeah so yeah yeah he, he was still he was still doing the business yeah so and I think he was he must have been about 35 36 I have maybe more I think I, I I think he was about 40 40 was because I because I'm sure it's something about it's the record the oldest debutant maybe his debut for Hibs at, at 40 it's, it's scary that in it when you think you know, God rest them because a guy plays to that level, to forty years of age, and yet passes away early because he obviously, to be fair to him, I mean even in the picture he can see he looked after himself. Yeah, he wasn't normal. We playing the clubs that he played with and, and the countries that he played with. They were ahead of their time in terms of you know um, diets. And a diet, yeah, training machines. So. It was surprising to hear that that happened to him. Mm -hmm. Sad. Yeah, very much so. And I think, um, you know, quite often you hear about these players who could play in any generation. I think he is one of these who could genuinely play, Aye. you know, any time in football. And, you know, it doesn't matter if, if it's if it's in the modern day or if it's in the 20s or something. He would he would play in any situation and adapt to that, without a doubt. I, Andy, I think you totally agree with that. And I, I think it doesn't matter... What, what side the fence you sit on. But I know I did in my childhood when I was out playing, as we spoke about, seven in, seven by crossing and finishing and things like that. Mm. Everybody wanted to do the Ray Wilkins volley. <laughs> Everybody was wanting to smash a volley for about 20 yards, weren't they? Everybody wanted to do it because technically, I mean, we talk, you think about that. Paul Scholes scored a similar, didn't Paul Scholes' volley was felt a greater height. Mm. The one at the edge of the box. Was this against Bradford, that one, or was this the other one? Because he did a couple, didn't he? I think it was against West Ham, Paul Scholes' volley. Yeah. I think um, the, 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 the ball came over from a throw-in, I think it was, but it was looked away up in the air, and he dropped it there for some height, and he smashed it. Great volley. Mm. Ray Wilkins at that time, he didn't see a lot of goals like that that he struck at that time, and it was just so well struck. Like Technically, the guy, the technique on it, to keep the ball down... You know, everything, it was, he used quality for me. It, you know, 
it's frightening. He really was. He was brilliant. We'll move on to page 11 here and we've got a little advert to look at and it's for Jimmy. So this is a, the, the electronic game and it says, Now match of the day can be every day with Jimmy electronic football. And it says it captures all the thrills, skills and excitement of real live football at the press of a button. And it has digital scoring. Uh, you can play it almost anywhere and, and you can organise your own championships. And it says you may qualify for the National Jimmy Tournament, which, I, I don't know, that sounds a bit of a euphemism, it's qualifying for the National Jimmy tour, Tournament. Um, I'm doing the wrong road here. <laughs> yeah. Games are still available on eBay for around £25. Now, I, I never actually played this, in it, but it looks like each player has six buttons to control their players, which are fixed coloured lights on a football pitch. It's seven aside with the ability to change the team playing by changing a card at the end of each side using the supplied team cards. So, did any any of you actually ever play, Jimmy? Afraid not. I was a, I was a, I think it was called kickoff man, where there was a button behind the guy that flicked off to the ball. Mm-hmm. I that, um, but I wasn't a never Jimmy in blow football. Remember blow football? Aye, aye. <laughs> Uh, yeah. well as well, but never, never heard anything like that. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, it looks good. It looks, it looks quite exciting. Um, probably for about ten minutes. Um, but what about you, Tom? Any rate? Any? No, I, I don't recall playing it. There is a video on YouTube where a guy gets it, gets it out of the box and mm. shows you how it shows you how it works. I don't recall playing it. But these are the kind of things you would look at the adverts and kind of, you know. Fetishise over kind yeah, of thing, yeah. about wanting these things and wondering how it worked and all this, and imagining what it'd be like to play them. Yeah. You know, and it does look, it looks fairly rubbish. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I would tell you, I agree, Tom. I, it's no up my street. Yeah. I must admit, me and my brother John, we had we quite a big bedroom uh, growing up, to be fair. He'd uh, a bed at one side and I had a bed at the other, and it'd be rolled up pair of football socks, one on one bed and one on the other bed and we sit and smash the pair of socks at each other and try and save it and try and score goals. So that was your if it was like wait or you were kept in or whatever, that was your entertainment more than that, you know? So you were always you're always doing something that was active rather than sitting about doing yeah. this. I mean you're certainly well we certainly, you know, we sound like all fuddy diddies here to be saying this, but you know, we certainly did make our own entertainment. And I'll give you an example of what we used to do. So, it was me and my three brothers, and we had um, a good bit of um, action man equipment. But um, yeah. what we used to do, so the, the hallway, front door, hallway up, you know, tenement house, um, and the hallway would go right up the top. And what we would do, we had a Jeep, which it was a green Jeep, amphibious Jeep for action man. Yeah. And we would tie my mum's um, washing rope to the bottom of it, right? And somebody would go up one end and somebody would go down the other end. And basically you would you would lie on top of the jeep, right? <laughs> and you get pulled down the hallway. And if you touched the ground, you'd fallen off into a ravine or something like that and died. And it was like, you think, how on earth would you ever touch I mean, how, how difficult is it to lie on this? And, but we used to do things like that. We, we used to do a ghost train through the hallway. So we would yeah. we would turn off the lights and uh, you know be somebody standing at the the the, the bathroom door with a, a sheet on, um, and is and it, again we'd use the same thing. So you get pulled down on this, and as you go <laughs> past, somebody would ruffle your hair, 
Um, but we, somebody would have the 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 hose out from the hoover and sort of project it, and as you go past, you go, Whoa! and it's you know. So we would do a ghost train, and we would do all this stuff in the hallway, just using whatever was there, and it was imagination that. And I think that you know, it sort of comes back to this. You need imagination to to see that that you know is a game of football. You know, it talks about um, the the skills and excitement of real life football. Yeah, as long as you've got the imagination to to make that happen in your head, rather than it being you know f- playing FIFA or that nowadays, you can see right, okay, that's definitely football. This is brilliant, blah blah blah. You don't really have to imagine anything, but you certainly did back then. I, what I was meaning, I think you'll agree with this as well. But kids were more active in those days. Mm. Kids were more active in those days. So sitting down and you know, the now, see just now for all the kids. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Josh and I, you know, we're exercising, we're away run, we're in the back garden. Now we're fortunate enough to have the back garden. Not everybody's got that privilege, yeah, but yeah. The back garden there, and we're out with the ball playing heated tennis. If it's no heated tennis, we're playing. We're chipping the ball into a box. We're not doing that. We've got. The clubs out the back garden, just trying to chip a golf ball into a box. Yeah, we're always trying to do something active, and believe it or not, he just bought himself a, a PS4 recently, just to communicate with his pals and play FIFA. He's I mean I, I slaughter him at it like he's rotten at it, absolutely <laughs> rotten. Like, he doesn't play it enough. He doesn't play it enough, yeah. and, and and I think to be fair, that's a holiday in my heart because I'm like, well, I'm glad you're rotten at it because it shows that you're not in the house. 24 7 sitting down playing a game you're doing stuff that you should be doing yeah absolutely yeah okay page 12 here is um brilliant joe jordan at ac milan and joe's looking very happy carrying a large bag of balls and he's wearing his ac milan strip with the famous poo jeans what's that looks a shite tap looks like it was a shite tap poo jeans that's all right i get it I get it. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> but he's obviously wearing he's these. Well, I was just going to say that, and they're, they're, they're big pearls as well, aren't they? Um, it's a sort of it's a string string bag, isn't it? Sort of a, a string bag they're in as well. But it just it just looks as though he's enjoying the life out there, the sun, and you know, he was made for that. Um, on to page fourteen, and it's Remy Moses, and it says the mouse who roars. So Remy was a midfielder at West Brom and he was the quietest player in the squad who becomes a tiger when he pulls the boots on. He was signed on as pro by Ron Atkinson after being discovered by Ronnie Allen. So the whole thing around this, I mean, you'll know more about this than, than anyone, Alan, and you know, you hear it all the time how players who, you know, they're, they're snarlers, they're snappers, they're, they're really aggressive sometimes but on the pitch, but off it completely different you know they're, they're the nicest guys in the world they're, they're quiet they're you know they'll, they'll phone their mammies and check in with them and stuff like that but as soon as they cross that line they change there's there's listen there's, there's loads of them there's loads of them you could name a, a few john john crooks john crooks sinky suitor hmm. um my brother andy millen you know, Stevie Walker, there was loads and they were as hard as nails. Yeah. As hard as nails. I mean, there's, there's probably a few I've missed out there as well. Um, they, they would stand up for themselves. Mm. You know, give people the respect if they want to respect. If they want to go toe-to-toe, they would do it in the park. But they would stand and have a pint with somebody after the game as well. 
and that's what you need. You need that in your team. Yeah. We Andy Kenner was another one. We Andy Kenner was one of the wee guys that was just, you know, he was just continually, you know, working hard in people's faces, but yet a nicer guy you couldn't meet. Mm. I mean, Andy and I, we've not spoken a wee while, but Andy and I still keep in touch, and he was just brilliant, you know, wee guy for that as well. And as you said, you need that in your team, but that's that's part and parcel. It's not part and parcel of the game nowadays. Yeah. I don't think we've got anything like that. But I think it's slowly going to end up being an, a non-contact sport, unfortunately. Um, but these guys, that, that I said it the last time as well, these guys make up teams. It's an 11 aside. It's, yeah. We're all the same. It would be boring, mm. you know? Um, and that's the beauty of football. It's it's a team sport. It's a team effort. We've all got different um, attributes and different strengths they bring to the game. Mm. You know, if you look at individual sports, you know, it's tennis, snooker, golf. You're out there on your own, and if you're having a bad game, the chances of you getting beat are quite high. Yeah. But if you've got eleven players out there and there's maybe one or two having a bad game. You've, the chances of you winning are still quite high. Mm. And I remember there was a famous quote that um, Jock Steen it was, and he spoke about the player that he would like to have most in his team. He says, anything he wanted any player in his team would have to be Graham Sooners. Yeah. And you know what he said? It wasn't because that he was aggressive and he was strong and he was, you know, the guy was a born leader, obviously. But what he said was, any player that was having a bad game, Graham Sooners would go into a position that made it simple for that guy to get the ball and take the ball off that guy to take the pressure off him. Mm. To the guy. And I think that's what you need with these players like that. Yeah. Uh, and it's a different type of strength as well, to be fair. Mm-hmm. There's mental strength, there's physical strength. And I used to I used to argue with people this all the time because and it's right, you do need these like Aggressive players and everything else, but I used to have been managers and saying that people are you, 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 um, you're so aggressive, you don't, you've no want it enough. And I'm like, well, no, I do, I do want it enough. I, I want, put it this way, I want the ball all the time and I'll take the ball in areas where other players will not take it. I might not run and tackle where other players will run and tackle, yeah, but I've got a different type of strength to what they have, and and that's again going into the, 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 the thing about having a team and the beauty about having a team. You know, you need players like that. You need players like Sinky Suiters, John Jacks, John Crooks, where they're all going to go and put their feet in and put their head in where it hurts. Mm. But there's got to be a balance. Yeah. There's got to be a balance. And then, at the same time, when you play football, that's where you're letting off your steam. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry, just when, uh, Alan, you're talking about that, uh, the, the balance. I remember reading that so Bob Paisley had said that every midfield needs... Uh, a cruncher, a buzzer, and a spreader, <laughs> and he said soonest was all three. Aye, I could believe. By the way, I, I think he was again. You you don't get you don't go away to Europe and play with Sampdoria in in Italy, and you know all of a sudden here you're homesick and get a pipe band to pipe pipe you in during your games. You know what I mean? So that's how much they valued Graham Soonest. Mm. So the guy yeah. was again ahead of his time and as a pundit. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I tell you what, it's, it's, it sounds like a, a trio from the Beano or something like that. Cruncher, buzzer and spreader. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Alright, page 15 here, advert. So we're looking at another advert. This is for Dunlop boots. It says, Dunlop superstars, football boots inspired by professionals. It's endorsed by Bobby Charlton and Trevor Brooking. And there's a selection of boots from 13.99 to 29.99, and a selection of trainers from 9.99 to 12.99. Now the advert states regarding advances in their boot technology. Admittedly, the results will set you back a bit more than you've paid for Dunlop boots in the past. Now I think that's an extraordinary, honest bit of advertising there. Um, I don't think it's one of the most well-known or popular boots, but it just says, admittedly. The results will set you back a bit more than you've paid for Dunlop boots in the past. That, that's just, you know, they're, they're obviously the boots have been cheaper, but they've done something that's like, listen, you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah. Joe Andy, this brings back a major memory for me. Right. I was six year old, my first ever game for Carlton Boys Club, St Anne's, uh, just at Barrafield, just at, just at the Gallagher, and I didn't have any boots. And I said to my wee pal in the corner, we Ken of Allen, we guy I grew up with, and I said to him, I said, you any boots? He's like, aye, he's on your boots. And he gave us a pair of Dunlop boots. Brilliant. And it was boots I remembered, uh-huh. you know, you funny, you, you, you go into the gravel pitch, and it was like nylon studs, as they say, do you know what I mean? You're playing with nylon studs in the gravel pitch. <laughs> and away you went. And, and, and that was funny, a memory that, that the first time I'd ever seen a pair of Dunlop boots yeah, was yeah. that day. Yeah. It's incredible. And probably... 82, 81 wouldn't have been far away if we went actually put them on. And it was, I, I know that looks white there, but they were black and the white part was yellow. Right. So it was, and that's yeah. what I remember from them as well. Yeah. Were they any, were they any good? I can't remember that either, but I just remember the specific date. It was well, well they, they, they set you onto your path of um, professional yeah. football, so. That's it. Any an advert? Well, I'd, I'd done a lot of boots when I was wee, and it was because Soonest wore them. It's probably right? because they were cheap, but Soonest wore Soonest wore Dunlop boots. I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, when he was certainly when he was at Liverpool. Right. Uh-huh. Well, there, there goes my whole wee note there saying not one of the most well-known or popular boots. The fact is that everybody here, you know, knows about them and they're quite popular. <laughs> so scratch that. But that I said, everything else is fine. Yeah. So Dunlop boots there. It was a it's a full page spread, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So page sixteen. And this is the shoot tracksuit by Umbro offer. So they offer yeah. to buy a tracksuit exclusively made for shoot by Umbro. And it's <laughs> sizes from 26 to 36 with a choice of three colours. So obviously they're not catering for the, the larger um, market. <laughs> um, so, so scarlet and white, royal and white, maroon and sky. And it's 100% polyester. The perfect material to give you static flashes in the dark. I've made a note. I love that. You know, I get. I keep saying, oh, I remember speaking about this in the past, but I remember specifically taking off my old Clyde bank top in the dark after wearing it all day. And you go into the dark to take it off because as soon as you start removing it, you get little sparks, little static sparks as you're taking it off. And I love that. Do you know, I can't, I can't remember that right off. But yeah. I remember, as you said, the tracks, but I don't remember that. I said, yeah, I yeah. didn't know. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was like the, the day's worth of you running about and building up that static, and it was just like yes, it last about two seconds or something. So <laughs> that was great. Um, so here the the smaller sizes are eleven pound ninety five, and the larger sizes um, that's quite um, 
also relative, calling them larger sizes, are fourteen ninety five. Shoot notes that these prices include delivery. And the advert has Graham Soonis in his permed pomp, modelling the tracksuits with three young lads. That always seemed to be... There was another one I looked at recently with Peter Barnes, and it was three three young boys that were there as well. So it does seem to be that that sort of, you know, um, ratio. One superstar to three young boys. But, yeah, we've spoke about Soonis. I mean, maybe he was wearing these Dunlops in this, in this thing. Do you know, I can remember, I can remember, vaguely remember that advert. Not not the soonest one, but I vaguely remember the, the yeah. shoot track yeah. as well. Because, do you remember Army Navy stores? Aye, aye. There was one in yeah. Clydebank, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. Right, but there was one in Duke Street. And you used to go up in Umbro. Remember, Umbro used to get your strips and it was like all in a packaged box. Aye. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And it was all folded away, nice and neat and everything else. And you, that, like, you were absolutely delighted if you got something like that at Christmas mm. as well. Your birthday, it was brilliant, and I can remember those tracksuits as well. But just looking at the price of the tracksuit, eleven ninety five, it's mental, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's the cost of living is just went ridiculous. But it's just one of those things, isn't it? And but everybody loved the tracksuit then. Everybody loved the tracksuit. <laughs> yeah. Right, okay. Page nine, eighteen, eighteen, and it's gentries for Partick. Um, so more adverts here, and it's a selection of the the pat. Sorry, I said Patrick there, didn't I? Gentry's for Patrick. Yeah. Oh, that's that's a. I'll be I'll be I'll be getting messages from a certain Twitter account on that. Gentry's for Patrick. A selection of the Patrick range, directed direct by post to you. I'm having an absolute nightmare with this one. Patrick boots and trainers. International boots at twenty nine pound sixty, and it's using kangaroo skin uppers now. That's that's right up at the very top range of the the Dunlop ones as well. £29.60. Anybody remember Patrick's? I don't remember Patrick in those days, but I remember uh, in 90-something, I think it was, was it 92, 93 maybe, Jean-Pierre Papin, it was Patrick Papin. Yep. There's another advert here, and it's Liverpool and other wall charts, calendars, badges and T-shirts. Sportrate is a business name. Scotland is included in available team wall charts, but there's no other Scottish teams. Um, the players include Douglas, Gray, uh, Jordan, and Wark, and the, the t-shirts only have English teams, so not really catering for a lot of. I mean, there's a, obviously Douglas, Gray, Jordan, and Wark are, you know, got um, wall charts there. Uh, page nineteen. Can we go? Can we go back a wee page to page seventeen? Yep. So, page 17 is the Charity Shield final between Aston Villa and Spurs. And it's just a couple of wee curious things that happened around about then. Mm-hmm. So, uh, they drew two each, and that meant that it was shared. Uh, each team gets six months with the, with the, the Shield, which is something that doesn't happen now. I think it was only the Charity Shield that they'd, they'd done that with. They shared it if it was a draw. Uh, and also, there's a picture there of Peter Withy, Aston Villa, and Mark Falco of Spurs. But Peter Withy is exchange shirts with a Spurs player mm-hmm. so they both get they both get Spurs tops on which again is something that teams kind of stopped doing uh, swapping the shirts and then getting up and collecting a trophy yeah. uh, I remember when Ajax beat Juventus in the European Cup final all the pictures you see of them with that cup they've all got Juventus shirts on mm. uh, so I'm sure that was something that teams kind of stopped doing and exchanging their shirts after yeah. after the trophies have been presented I didn't know that actually. That, that's that's a proper gamesmanship, and 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 football doesn't normally get that 
what's the word, get the credit for that at times, you know. And to me, that's especially with being a charity shield. Mm. It's yeah. a nice gesture, to be fair, you know, at that time. So good on them, eh? Um, what what I one of the things I like about when when players do swap shirts is it's led to a lot of photographs of players in shirts that you would never like. Uh, Maradona in the Scotland shirt, um, Danny McGrain and Joe Jordan in England shirts and things like that. And it's you know because they they don't you know change them now you don't get that little those little quirky things going on which I I guess is something that's you know. Has been a miss. See, to be fair, I, I know this, uh, this the frightening thing here. But we've named a lot. Of, there's been a, a few players named here that have been big players, mm-hmm. and played at Rangers. Mark Falco, Ray Wilkins, Graham Soonis. Soonis, yeah. I think you go like, what the hell? There's some good players there. Actually, to be fair, you know, doing in England in terms of Scottish players and players that came up to Scotland at some point as well in their career. It's it's incredible, and I mean, if you think of where both came from in terms of Scotland, even there's Joe Jordan we're talking about as well, you know, to where we are now, it's something's changed drastically. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but something's yeah. changed. Just on on the about the, the the players who have played for Rangers, there was a magazine I looked at that just a few weeks back, and the front cover had maybe six players on it, or six players mentioned, and five of them had played at Rangers. So it was like Gascoigne, there was um, Hately, you know, and it was like long before, obviously, they, they came there, and it was just like, you know, it, it was just really strange. You look at it and think, my God, all, all those, apart I've from that them. one, have went, huh? yeah. And you know, if you think about it as well, but the players that you've mentioned, they've all went and played abroad. Yeah. They've all went and played abroad as well, you know, and that's, that's what you've got to look at, you know. The only player that I can think from... Uh, the UK at the moment. I know you've got the boy it's at uh, Borussia Dortmund, but the other boy is um, played with Spurs, fullback. It's at Atletico Madrid. Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Not a bad player as well. There's not a lot of players that actually go to to Europe now because of the Premier League, and you're thinking, you know, they'd probably be better going to Europe and gaining, you know, a better. I think sometimes that the European games probably are still a bit more technical than, than what the Premiership game is because the Premiership game, going back to what we were talking about before, about this, you know, sterile, is, there's so much to lose, if you like, whereas mm. European games still got more, dare I say, technical players in it. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that to, to quite a degree because quite often when teams, whether it's Scottish teams or English teams, go and face, you know, quality opposition from Europe, it's like... Sometimes they just get passed around, really, you know, and they just pass really quickly, sharp, moving the ball all the time, stuff like that. And but it seems, and and I'm generalising a bit here, but it seems when whenever English teams have success against European teams in Europe, it's quite often it's a, it's a, not not physical um, battle that they win, but that it's it's not they don't really beat them at their own game, they mm-hmm. they, they beat them with. English game, you know that so it is a lot of its pace and power and just, you know, incessant attack and you know things like that rather than just you know pinging it about the midfield, touching you know movement off the ball or little triangles and stuff like that, which is what you know as I say the European teams do. So I, I you know that, and you know does suggest that they do have 
more technique to their game, whereas the the, the British teams do have more of a blood and thunder yeah. to their game. Okay, so we're on page. Yeah. Tw- Sorry, Tom. Kieran, uh, Kieran, Kieran Trippier. Trippier, yeah. Trippier. Good show, well done. Yeah. Right, page 20 here, we're, we're still looking at quite a lot of adverts we'll notice here. Um, there's a shoot soccer quiz book, and it says hundreds of questions in every aspect of the game, advertised by Gary Shaw of Villa, and that's for £2.50. We have an advert for soccer fans, toweling robes. Um, one of the adverts where the items are for sale are drawn rather than a photo of them. You also have to be wary of adverts that are drawn. This one has a mustachioed Magnum-looking dad. I love the <laughs> I love the word mustachioed. That's that's under underused and. I, I think he looks more like shoestring than Magnum. To be fair, Scottish teams mentioned for the toweling robes are Scotland, Aberdeen, Celtic, Glasgow R, and Hibs. So it doesn't even say Glasgow Rangers or Rangers. It just says Glasgow R. So I've, I've no idea why they've cut that short. Um, anybody ever have any footballing robes like that? <laughs> that we can remember? Yeah. <laughs> no. I remember um, probably the closest I had to this was um, a pair of pyjamas, which were, um, were second-hand and they were, they were sort of yellow bottoms with a brown and yellow top. But it was like... And, Kung Fu pyjamas so he even had a, a yellow belt and stuff <laughs> I can't believe I'm telling this so when I was when I was um, in my early teens I, I was pretty good at table tennis and um, went and sort of qualified through a, a competition to, to go to Inverclyde you know and get coached for, um, by Scottish coaches and stuff like that and it was a residential thing over like three days or something so I, I went there and you know I'm 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 not really that familiar with a big bad world and things like that. So I, I went, uh, you know, wee innocent boy, and we're in this bedroom and there was maybe another three guys in it, three young lads, see me. And I, I just went to bed one night, put on my kung fu pajamas, right? <laughs> Without thinking, I just thought, right, kung fu, and, and then I went to brush my teeth or something, and they're all laughing. What's that? What's that? What? What? So. So basically, after after that moment, I was called Bruce for the entire <laughs> the entire length of the the the, the thing. So, so at the end of it, they were giving out awards and stuff, and um, I I I got an award for um, most improved over the the course of the three days. So they're giving the awards, and they say the award for most improved is Andy Smith, and it's like silence. And I could hear people going, "Who's that?" Who's that? <laughs> and as it's out, I got up and started walking. I could see, hear somebody saying, "Oh, it's Bruce!" <laughs> and they all start, "Oh, it's Bruce! It's Bruce!" So I got called Bruce. They, they called me Bruce, probably because of those bloody pajamas. And uh, anyway, that's that's Marby's story. So page twenty-two, we're having a, another advert, and it's for Power Football Boots. And it says a Seba. They're so good, you won't wear anything else. Um, another of the less well-known boots. Um, so there does seem to be a lot of um, advertisements in this one. Uh, September, so it's not even that close to Christmas. So maybe just after the start of a new season, possibly. Um, yeah. You know, as new as kids are looking for a new pair of boots and things like that, and obviously a new set of toweling robes. Um, <laughs> so Paige... <laughs> I hope nobody else went through what I went through. Um, pages twenty three to twenty five is the club spotlight on Coventry City, 
So the the first division club and Dave Sexton is the new manager after being sacked by Man United. So I'm just going to have a quick look at Dave Sexton, his profile. He was born in 1930 and he died in November 2012 and he's from Islington in London. He was an inside forward. Now his playing career, he started at Luton Town and moved to West Ham United, 52-55. He played at Leighton Orient between 56 and 57 and Brighton between 57 and 58 and finished at Crystal Palace. Now he didn't he didn't make a, a huge deal. Of, I mean, looks sounds like less than 200, 200 appearances over all those years. So, I mean, it was in the eight year. But then, in his management, uh, he managed Leighton Orient in a spell 60-70-74 with Chelsea. Uh, QPR, he managed Man United between 77 and 81. Uh, he had a spell, well, two spells, managing the England under-21s and a spell managing Coventry City. Now, He's the son of former boxer Archie Sexton, who took part in the world's first ever televised boxing match in London in August 1933. So that's a bit of a of, of a claim to fame. And his dad, he retired after losing the sight in his left eye as a result of boxing. And Sexton led Chelsea to the FA Cup success in 1970 and European Cup Winners' Cup a year later. He lost to Stoke in the 1972 League Cup final and took QPR to within a point of the 75-76 league title, which is some going. Sexton lasted just two years at Coventry, with them only avoiding relegation on the second last day of the 1982-83 season, which led to his dismissal. He won the UEFA Under-21 European Championship twice with England uh, as coach in 1982 and 1984. So in the article, Mark Cately, Tom English, not, not that one, and Gary Thompson are described as a lethal strike force. Um, so the double page centre spread itself of the, the team so it's the classic Talbot strip with the famous T design mm. um, so shirt sponsorship had only recently been accepted by the Football League but was banned in matches broadcast by the BBC with the, Tal the Talbot logo being part of the strip design the BBC saw this as a blatant attempt to circumvent the rules and they refused to cover them until they changed their design and now that, that was the brainchild of uh, Jimmy Hill, I think it was the director um, at the time. Uh, notable players in the team photo, so we've got Mark Haley in there. We've got Gary Gillespie. Yeah. Uh, is that the Gary Gillespie Liverpool? Liverpool, yeah. Celtic, yeah. yeah. We've got Dave Jones, who went on to manage Southampton, Wolves, Cardiff and yeah. a load of other teams. Jim Blythe, uh, Jerry Daly, who was, uh, played 48 times for the Republic Island. Uh, we've got the Adidas tangle balls in the, the photo, the greatest balls of all time in my in my oh, yeah. Um there's no yep. no no coloured boots. All apart, all apparently Adidas by the looks of it. And the strip itself is a is as we've said, it's that T which continues down onto the shorts as well. Um which I'm never a fan of any stri stripes like that on shorts. Even those Scotland ones with the vertical the hoop things I think are horrible. I've seen straight. I think it was Brighton have. Um, there's a strip where they have actually mm -hmm. blue and white striped shorts, and it just they, they just look like something you'd wear to the beach. You know, yeah. I'm not a fan of them at all. So, page twenty six, and it's Arsenal must win the title for O'Leary. O'Leary, aye. So D David O'Leary has agreed agreed to stay with Arsenal while Frank Stapleton had recently moved to Man United on a reputed two thousand pound a week which is about seven and a half thousand pound a week now. You'd be looking at 
a hundred times of that today, um, wouldn't you, for, for those sort of players? That's incredible. That money in those days is mm. a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. A lot of money in those days. Absolutely. In fact, we were um, we were talking we, we were talking to Ken Eady about there was a thirty goal season prize, the first player to reach 30, 30 goals between I think seventy two and seventy six or something like that, and it was the Daily Express I think which had put it forward ten thousand pound prize for the first player to win to get to thirty goals back in the mid seventies. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I said at the time that would buy you a house. Oh, that I two houses. Aye. But, you know, you, you, it's incredible. It's just absolutely nuts. Mm-hmm. And when you think about that and the money, but what's interesting here is it just shows you the wealth that they had because there was no television money coming in. Mm-hmm. So that actually invested by the club, private investors, obviously, or obviously from coming from supporters. So a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So O'Leary spent six years at Arsenal by this point with only one win- winner's medal to show, the 1979 FA Cup final. Although a Dubliner, O'Leary was actually born in North London. He returned to Ireland before his first birthday, but his family had taken the love of Arsenal back with him, which was passed on to David. His decision to stay at Arsenal was obviously swayed by his love for the club. The article ends stating that Arsenal must bring players to Highbury to show that they match the burning ambition of O'Leary. Page 28, we're going to look at some football funnies. The format of this section is that shoot we get a footballer to select a number of jokes, specifically drawn by their cartoonist's sticks. There is a disclaimer at the bottom that states, all jokes are sticks originals and copyright to IPC magazines, suggesting that the jokes had most likely already been drawn. So I think we've already you know, um, spoke about this before and you know it wasn't a case of it, it, it was a case that Sticks had already done these and then the person would just pick a few of them. I don't think they would pick a joke and then Sticks would then draw them. Um, I think So I think they'd already been done. So in this publication, the player is Mick Baxter of Middlesbrough, who is a recent signing from Preston. We're moving in, there's an advert here, Roy of the Rovers and KP Griddles. Now, I don't remember these at all. Apparently, no. these were very strong corn snacks as opposed to potato crisps. They were also square. The two flavours advertised were prawn cocktail and beef. Now it says, kids will do almost anything for griddles, was the tagline on the crisp packets. The packet actually says they are crisp potato snacks, so this goes against the idea they were corn-based, so there's a bit of suggestion that the the corn thing isn't true. Um, The advert was to get a free packet of griddles by buying that week's Roy the Rovers for the special coupon that you would then take to the shop. Similar adverts were found in other magazines of the time, including Battle. So, Griddles, anyone? KP Griddles? No, none yeah. of the Rovers, I definitely. Yeah. I mean, they sort of sound like um, Square Smith Square Crisps or something like that, that idea. They had a, they had a hole in the middle. That was their, their slogan. The Griddles did? Apparently, the crisps with a the, with the hole in the middle, aye. All right. I don't remember them. Yeah. Roy no, the- I don't remember them either. I had the Roy the Rovers strip and everything. Loved Roy the Rovers. You had the strip? Oh, wow. I loved it. Loved Roy the Rovers. Brilliant. Remember, it was actually quite like a, it was like a red and yellow strip, so it was the Roy the Rovers yeah. strip. I remember yeah. Army Navy as well. It was, it was probably two of my favourite colours back then, probably because of that. It's like whenever I would draw, you know, sometimes you would draw your own kits and stuff or you would draw football scenes. It would always be red and yellow. And quite often I'd, I'd, I'd brown and orange as well I'd have in there so but I think it was because of my love for 
the Melchester Rovers kit. Absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. You, you don't still have it there? I don't know. I wouldn't squeeze into it now. Uh, you don't need to squeeze it. Just get it framed. I've not got it, no. <laughs> talking about things like that, the amount of things that you end up throwing away as a kid as well, and you look back and think, oh, I wish I'd kept that, I wish I'd done this. Yeah. Just... I've, I've I've mentioned this before as well. I mean, it's like so. We we just we we have we just didn't have the space to keep things. My mum and dad didn't have the space in the house to keep things. You know, yeah. it was like, you know, there's there was seven years all together. You know, and it's like, we didn't have a cellar. You didn't have an attic. There wasn't like cupboards that, that weren't getting used for stuff. So I mean, the cards that we kept, that my mum and dad kept, they they were kept in their cupboard in the bedroom. And that's the only reason that they were kept. Everything else, gone. But you so. think about it, but you mentioned like Action Man, had Action Man, had Star Wars as well. Mm. And they were all in the boxes and everything. Yeah. My mum gave them all away to like uh, charity shops. Right. They're all fortune now and you're like, it's madness. My, my, dad, my dad gave, we did a huge amount of Action Man stuff and my dad gave it away to my cousin. Right. And uh, yeah, he gave it away without asking us, you know. Just, uh, so if you're listening to this, Stephen, I want my action man stuff back, right? <laughs> you're too big for it, dude. No, 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 you're never too big for it. I, I keep looking at eBay and thinking, uh, eBay, yeah, action man, absolutely love, absolutely. I can't, don't get me started in action man. Page twenty nine, goal lines. So this this is um, it's ten pound for the star letter. This is readers' letters. So ten pound for the star letter again, 1980, 1981, um, ten pound star letter. That's a lot of money. Four pound for every other letter published, um, but it's UK only. Over overseas readers will get a shoot T-shirt. Uh, so they ask that the readers writing in also mention the two features they like the best from the latest issue. Now I'm just thinking about this. I guess it was a good way of getting feedback from the readers. And I think that's a, actually a pretty good idea. They say right when you write in, just let us know a couple of the things. You know, it's a nice wee bit of marketing research um, to, to find out what's actually good or not. Um, so we'll pick out a couple of the letters. And it's, first one is Stop This Welsh Farce. And the star letter this week comes from Matthew Codd of Norwich. Now Matthew's letter takes a bit of a swipe at the Welsh Cup and in particular the, the fact that the Welsh clubs in the English League often had an easy time of it, as he says. Another issue was that there were obviously some English clubs invited to the Cup and on occasion they would win. So the cup led to a place in the Cup Winners' Cup, and since English teams could not qualify, qualify through this route, then those occasions could lead to Welsh teams getting into Europe without even winning their competition. So the, the echoes of the current Champions League set up where non-champions are included for me here. Don't get me started in that. Really don't get me started in that. In a Champions League called a Champions League, and there's fourth and I think there's fifth. Is it five places in England nowadays? Oh, yeah, pro- probably. Yeah, as I say, just change the name of it. That 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 will that will suit it for me. Change the name. Of it. Stop calling it the Champions League. I tell me this. Then do you not think it's getting boring? Oof. Oh yeah, it is. I mean, I don't even bother watching the the group stages. It only gets interesting once it gets to the knockout. Flat end, but even 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 then, it's it's still I'm I'm a hundred percent with you in this. It's like I can find myself now just doing stuff in the evening and then checking on Twitter and it's like, oh, was it was it the semi finals with the night? Aye. As I, I have absolutely no interest in watching Bayern Munich playing Real Madrid again. You Aye. know, Barcelona Aye. playing Chelsea again. 
It, 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 I, I just, I've, probably four or five years ago. I think we'd be the, we'd be as well changing the format rather even the name as you say change the name but changing the format because go back to when we were kids it was European Cup you had to win yeah. your league yeah. to be put forward to play the European Cup right I don't know how we can call it the Champions League and you know you're getting second place when we were kids it was European Cup yeah you had to win your league there was no back door entries and even yeah. in even this one that the champions of the Scottish League have to play a qualifier as an absolute farce. Yeah. How yeah. do you need to play? If you're and you might be playing against somebody that's that's came second or third as well, to me that doesn't work. So the whole thing's just again it becomes political again, doesn't it? I suppose rather than about in money, money I suppose and back to that business as well. But I think it's one that. The Champions League's a bit dated, I think, getting. Yeah, and now they're trying to, you know, close the shop as well, aren't they? Aye. So You know, and it's like, nah, I'm not having that. So, yeah, they can do that all they want, but, they've, you know, not that they care. They've, they've certainly, at this moment in time, they've lost me as somebody who actually cares about it or watches it. I mean, occasionally I'll turn, you know, if when, you, when you're watching Twitter or you check on Twitter, and you can see that, right, okay, there's something special happening in the game here, so I'm going to turn it on. But very seldom will I sit down and start watching it. I, I think sometimes, though, it goes back to the comments we made before, even just talking about football, though, and, I mean, about going and seeing a game through midweek as well. Mm. You know, you, I'm going to kind of sidetrack a wee bit here and talk about the season being pulled. Yeah. We think about junior players playing... Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. The senior clubs could do that no problem at all. Mm-hmm. These junior players have all got jobs. They've all got jobs to you know and work to go to the next day, and yet they're home playing Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. So there's no reason why they can't. Um, but I, I think it's I think it's fans like yourself, like Tom, who and and myself is that matter because people ask me. What team do I support? I supported Rangers as a kid, but see, really now, I'm just, I, I love football. Yeah. But I'm actually losing, losing the love of it actually because it's it's not that attractive to watch anymore. And especially, yeah. I, think what's, I think what's ramming at home hard now is all these reruns. These reruns are better to watch than what we're watching now. Mm. And yet they get yeah. a lot more money now than what they did back then. It's incredible. It really is. It's a it's a sore point for me. Um, when I watch it, and you know, you're thinking, like, bloody hell, it was it was that good, you know. Mm. Um, maybe we were spoiled. Maybe we were spoiled when we were younger, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I've not watched it all yet, but the Diego Maradona film. Have you seen that yet? Yeah, it's great. I've not. I've watched that. Yeah. Watched it the first thirty minutes, Tom, and it's incredible. But again, the pitches the guy played on. The players he was playing against, you know, the, I mean, Napoli, Napoli won a nobody until he went there yeah. and he won the Serie A. How many players can do that nowadays? How many players can take a team with a scruffy neck, a national team with a scruffy neck? We don't see it. I mean, I was saying to my son, talking about Messi, he's like, oh, Messi, this and Messi. And I'm like, no chance. Messi's not done it with Arsenal. Phenomenal player. I love him. I think he's brilliant. I think he's he is the best at the moment. But in comparison to Maradona, 
in terms of what Maradona achieved uh, with Napoli and, and, and Argentina and the pit, going back to the pitches, going back to the facilities and everything else. The rules There's as well, the protection, things like that. Everything, yeah. everything. So I think when you hear things like we're talking about the way the Welsh getting into this and, and the way that cups are done nowadays, I hate to say it, but I think football's lost its way a wee bit. Mm. I think it's lost its way and lost its... I tell you what you do, if there's one thing you want to do after this, and you might have watched it, go and watch the English game. On I haven't started it yet. I, I, I watched that, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant, mm. absolutely brilliant. I, 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 hear um, that, I hear there's a there's a lot of um, inaccuracies and um, artistic license being done for it, but it was un- really enjoyable. Uh, there, there, prob- there probably was, because you've got to do that for television, mm. but the point, the point I'm making is it's, it's, it's a working man's sport. Yeah. Working man's sport. And I go back to, you know, Clay Bank, and that's where you've got to tip your hat to you guys as supporters. Andy, you're travelling best part of four, five, maybe six hours a week, or every second week, to go and see Clay Bank play. Yeah. And you know, whether it's junior game, let's just say non-league for easier for everybody to understand what it is, right? Yeah. It's it's incredible, but it's all about the community. It's all about the people. We're still doing it for the people. If you go back to the English game, it was about the Darwin people. Yeah. It was about the Blackburn people. Nowadays, it's not about anybody. Mm. It's not about anybody's people. You can say that, to be fair, and, and, and I must admit, clubs like Rangers and Celtic, Yes, it's about theirs, and, and the Scottish clubs probably still have that. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not togetherness, but they've still got that kind of, you know, where where it's it is about it is about their supporters. We look after our supporters and things like that because uh, these English clubs in particular in the Premiership it's became so commercialised. It's mm. it's not about the, the local punter that's trying to go and see to take his kids to the football nowadays. Yeah, they're just interested in you know getting, you know, as much money as they can, which I understand, I get it, it's a business and everything else, but we've lost that, um, what's the word, organic, if you like, of the game, we've lost the, 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 the heritage of the game, haven't we? And mm. it's such a shame because, you know, it is a brilliant sport, it's well, a the, great the sport to go on. Classic, classic example recently is Liverpool, with the, I mean, we're, we're aging the podcast here, but with the following of the staff, oh. and then, They've they've done a, a U turn and it's like they've they've done that because of the uproar of it from mostly their own you know supporters because that's not what Liverpool mean to them that's mm. not you know what Liverpool's all about to them and it's like it just seems as though a lot of clubs don't don't do the things that you know the right things and the things that they should until it comes back on them. But I think I think I totally agree I totally agree with that as well. But I, I just feel that. Look at look at again. Look at what Clay Bank done. You guys have stood by the club through thick and thin, right? And supported them. And there's no, there's no, there's no glory hunting about it. There's no. It's about, it's about the place. Yeah. It's about the place, Clay yeah, Bank. Yeah. And and it's the same as I said to you. You know, and you go back to the English game. It was about the place. About Darwin. You heard the guy talk to uh, Fergie Souter saying it's about Darwin, mm. you know, look what you've done about the people of Darwin, it's a working class place, Clybank working class, Glasgow working class, Liverpool working class, but the Premiership has grown that far, 
that it's not about the working class anymore, it's not about the people, it's not about the people that want to go and support it, it's not about, you know, want to go and take your, your kids and your family to the football. Yeah. We've lost, yeah. we've lost that. What's that identity? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a good, there's a good documentary I watched the other day. There, you can find it on Vimeo to rent for ninety nine pence. It's called uh, Daydream Believers. It's about Barnsley. It's about uh, the season where Barnsley won promotion at the Premiership, yeah. and it sort of follows. It's the the players and the fans, but they talk about how the sort of the town was decimated through the miners' strike, mm-hmm. and how that this uh, winning promotion at the top flight for the first time sort of helped a lot of the people sort of get the identity of their, their town back kind of thing and helped to reunite uh, the sort of sense of, sense of community that they had. It's a, it's a really good, really good watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just basically covers those two seasons when they won, uh, they got up through the, champ- the championship or the first division, whatever it was called then, and exactly. the Premier. The Daydream Believers, it's called. You can find it on Vimeo. It's 99 pence to, to rent, but uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting, really good watch. The interviews of players and uh, supporters kind of thing. It's a really, really interesting, really entertaining watch. Because again, it is just that because they show you where they get promotion, and it's just guys just jumping about, and guys, you know, uh, even when they're, when they're being interviewed, like, nearly greeting because they're talking about this is like one of the greatest days of their, their life, seeing right. the, their team getting promoted into the, the top flight and going to play Man United and Liverpool and Spurs and just. And didn't and they got tanked in a few of the games and and you know they beat a lot of big teams as well but they got tanked and it wasn't about that it was about them their team being being there and going to watch their team playing at the at these grounds and all this kind of mm. thing you know yeah but the thing again you you know you mentioned Man United there how many actually Man United supporters are from Manchester yeah and actually some of them are from the UK. <laughs> Most of them are coming from abroad nowadays because it's so commercialised now. It's incredible, yeah. mm. you know. And and I think I think Scotland's to be fair to Scotland, we're we're holding on to it a bit now because we've we've not overstepped a matter of that. If you like, you know, because we've still got the, the fan base there. We've still got the local fan base and everything else, which is good. And that's again going back to Clyde Bank. That's why I admire you guys being so close to Glasgow City Centre. And supporting your local club means a lot. It's huge. Yeah. And if more people done that, then the the, the clubs would all be in a lot better state as well, you know. Mm. Um. And I, I I I for me that's that that's football. Don't get me wrong. If somebody comes in and says they're going to pay you fifty thousand pound a week, then it's a different matter, obviously. And I'm not contradicting myself, but I just think that the it's not the players' faults. It's it's the guys above the players that are causing the issues where it's 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 so money oriented, business run, and they're forgetting about the fans. They're forgetting about the fans that they're, they're not making it. German the German league's got it right. The German league's got it right. Because to go and watch their games it's it's not that expensive at all. It's not that expensive. So the fans are actually still being thought of and cared for. Um, which is incredible, you know, compared to what we normally get. So I think we've got to take a look at it in a whole in the UK and start seeing more for the fans. I don't know what you guys think, but that's mm. that's just a kind of rant of mine, as I say. Yeah. Okay, so we're still on the goal lines here. So we've talked about the Welsh farce, as Matthew Codd called it. Next one is no second best. So next up is Errol Lawrence of Greenwich, who is a pop at Sammy McElroy. 
well, a, a pop-out shoot in Sammy McElroy. Errol references an article from the 11th of April 1970 where Shute compared a 15-year-old Sammy to George Best. Now, Errol seems to have taken this quite personally given this was over <laughs> 10 years ago. I mean, what sort of grudge does he, is he hold and says, ah, you posted this like 11 years ago. So the next one up, Germans are so professional. It's like, ah, the old Germans are efficient trope. And... and I'm saying this even before I read the letter. So Jay Foster from Denton Burn is a big fan of the West Germans and points to their professional, disciplined and organised approach to football. Mention is made of one of the greatest football football names, Helmut Schoen, and how Jupp Darwell, who followed him, actually learned beneath him before taking over with the change in style being seamless. Jay Forster suggests that the Germans are favourites from the World Cup in 1982. Schutz responds, points out that English clubs come out better over German opposition. So yeah, Helmut Schoen is one of those childish um, names, isn't it? Um, <laughs> See, the thing is, no, on a serious note though, Anybody that discounted the Germans at any tournament, going back from when I was a kid, you know, you're, you're in a hide or nothing, they're always going to be there or thereabouts, the Germans. Yeah. Um, they were so well drilled. Um, they were so, again, aggressive. They technique, they did a bit of everything in their team, to be fair to the Germans, you know, but you can't discount them at any tournament. They were, they were incredible. Yeah. You know, for such a for, for such a long time, they were incredible as well, actually, to be fair. Mm-hmm. I think it was, uh, was that Italian 90 they won? Italian 90, yeah. Yeah, on yeah. this Bremer, I think, with the, the, the penalty as well. So, you know, they've always had good players, they've always had strong players as well, so... I don't think Jay Foster is, um, you know, making an outlandish statement there that nobody thought of. Or oh, the Germans are favourite for the World Cup, mate, too. Aye, fair <laughs> enough, yeah. Well done. Exactly. No shit, Sherman, <laughs> So the next one here is Leave Bosses Alone. So it says Bob Paisley, John Lyle of West Ham United and Bobby Robson of Ipswich Town. According to C. Francis of Stowmarket, one important reason that these managers have kept their jobs and achieved success is that rebellious and interfering directors have left them alone and let them go on with their jobs. Now Schutz's response is clubs panic and too many directors fancy themselves as managers. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Have you watched uh, Sunderland Till I Die yet on Netflix? I've not, but I've, I've sort of been. I'm sort of like, I'm not sure. Should, should I watch it, Tom? Aye. Aye, it's good. Have yeah. you seen the first series? No, I've not seen it, but it's like, you know, right. sometimes where, Aye, it's good. where it, it, it gets such a hype and such a. And it's like, well, no, I'm, I, listen, you can have it, you can watch it. I'm sort of at that point where I. Maybe being a wee, maybe a bit snobby about it. I'm just like, yeah. nah, I'm, I'm not watching it. Part one, I've watched. I've not done part two. I need to do part I know two. Part part two is good because it's different owners that come in. But it was just that wee that wee point. Too many chairmen fancy themselves as managers because there's a point with things only going too well, and then the 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 chairman and the sort of the chief executive have started to talk about tactics and all that kind of, kind of thing. You know, it just feels like. At that point, they're starting to go, oh, managers lost it, blah, blah, blah. They're starting to talk about, oh, you should be doing this, and how's you know made a change yet? And, you know, but it's worth a watch. It's, it, it, I, I liked it. I really enjoyed the first one. I thought it was excellent. 
and I'm not a fan of I'm not a fan of uh, this individual to be fair, Martin Bain. But I actually thought he yeah. came across okay in it. To be fair to him, he tried to do well. Um, the Jack Rodwell situation was a horrible situation for all parties actually, and it was it was incredible, you know. Um, trying to get the guy to take a pay cut and so on and so forth and it, it just wasn't a nice situation and it must have been difficult to try and manage that as a chief exec, you know, yeah. trying to get the club in the right place and and I think actually gets me back to my point about where football's went. It's became very selfish because Jack Rodwell taking a pay cut, that, that's not going to break the bank for him because he was earning that much money, the guy, that he could probably afford to break the bank. And lo and behold, I mean, he, he, that's another one. He's away. He's away to Italy. Into, he's away to you know. He's got another trip as well. So, it, it, to me, again, to be fair to Sunderland, it showed you the support for the fans, what it meant to the fans about the football as well. And this is where the players, the board, and everyone are forgetting what it means to the fans. Indirectly, it's the fans' clubs. They might not be owners of it. They might not have any money in it. But it's without the fans, they're nothing. Like, absolutely nothing, and that's a fact. Yeah, but well, I mean, what teams have got to remember is they wouldn't be here at all without the fans through history. One hundred percent. And you're seeing Tom as you're talking about Sunderland till I die. I mean, you see them, you know, following the supporters. I think it on Sunderland till I die. The first one, there was a woman and her family. I think it was. And she goes all the way down to one of the further south uh, teams. There was a wave, and it was a midweek game. And you're thinking, yeah. these people are getting home to like so maybe, you know, two or three in the morning, and they've got their work the next day. Next day, yeah. The players, however, are, you know, probably get the day off or a nice hotel that night as well. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's just people need to understand these supporters to go and travel. Do you know, do you know what I'm talking about, Tom? Yeah, yeah, that's, that, that's right, aye. And there's, there's similar things in the second series as well, you know, you can see how much the fans are sort of giving up to go and support their, support their team. It's, it's, and that's where I think where, where football's got to remember and, and supporters have got to remember, you know, uh, basically, it's about the supporters and that's going back to your comment Andy, about Liverpool being fun situation. The first thing, the first thing that you know that, that should have been done was, you know, non-playing staff should have been the ones that should have been taken care of because non-playing staff are not getting. They're probably on minimum wage. You know what I mean? Or the living wage, whatever it may be. So we should be looking after them, and then yeah. you know, the other guys. You know, the, the period of time it is. We've got to look after each other, and it's just, it's just a classic, you know, example when the chips are down or the shit's at the fan. Everybody tends to look after themselves, which is the wrong approach, in my opinion. Anyway, we should be looking after each other, in, in particular yeah. the people that are in, in need of help. And I, I and I do feel, and to be fair, I feel sorry for footballers because getting the raw end of the stick. You know, it's not just football that they've got these high earners who are earning a lot of money that people are saying, oh, they should be doing this, they should be doing that. People have got to be honest and look at themselves and say, well, what would you do in that situation and so on and so forth? But you've got other sportsmen like the F1, you know, golfers, 
you know, tennis players that are all earning, there's pop stars across the world that are earning, you know, hundreds of thousands that need to look into it, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. I think it's a shame that the footballers are getting a bit of a raw end of the stick, but we've all got to help each other. And I think that's one, again, a society thing. That's not just a football thing nowadays, it's a society thing. Yeah. We all need to look at each other and say, right, what can, what can we do? What can we do to help each other? Mm-hmm. Um, which is, is going to miss. It's yeah. going to miss. Yeah, well, hopefully it's one of the things that will come out of this whole um, coronavirus thing is that people will realise we do have to be a bit more of a social society. Aye. Right, okay, listen, I'm going to get back onto this. Um, ask the expert section, because there's... Um, so UK readers get £2 for letters published, and overseas readers once get a, once again get a T-shirt. Now, there's one here called The Quickest Threesome, which I want to go through. So Jay Fulcher of Oldham maybe thought he was writing into a different type of publication with the heading there. But his qu- his question was perfectly innocent. Um, he says, what is the quickest hat-trick ever scored in a major league game? At the time, English and Scottish football leagues confirm at least a dozen hat-tricks scored in three minutes. The prize seems to go to Jimmy Scarth of Gillingham versus Orient in November 1952, just inside two and a half minutes. More recently, Ian Scanlon for Notch County versus Sheffield Wednesday in November 1974. That was two and three quarter minutes. Now, doing that thing where we believe football started in 1992, Sadio Mane scored the fastest Premier League hat-trick versus Southampton in two minutes, 56 seconds. But the Guinness Book of Records has Alex Torr's 72nd hat-trick, albeit in a Sunday league game. The quickest British football hat-trick has been recorded as uh, Tommy Ross of Ross County, who scored a hat-trick against Nairn County in 1 minute and 30 seconds. The quickest I know, the quickest in the pro game was Swedish forward Magnus Arvidsson, who scored for IFK Hasselholm in 1995 in 1 minute and 29 seconds, beating Tommy by a second. Robbie Fowler's... the was uh, 4 minutes and 33 seconds which is positively pedestrian by comparison I mean Tommy Rob Ross could have scored 9 goals in that time <laughs> I was just in, it's incredible isn't it I mean I just saw your face there and as, as I, said, I mean a minute and 30 a minute and 29 seconds seems to have been the fastest to score 3 how, how does that even happen I mean the, the length of time it takes to get the ball back to the centre half and kick off again but that's, see that, going back to everything we spoke about, uh, that's the beauty of football back then. Now, there's not a chance that would happen now. Mm. There's, not a chance, there's not a chance. That's that's what I'm talking about, spontaneous. And there is about spontaneous, whereas now, the, you're never going to see anything like that. Mm. You will not see anything like that at all. Um, I mean, it's incredible, and you've rained off a few, so it's not just happened once or twice. Yeah. As we go back and speak about it, we spoke about the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. You go further than that, I bet you there's no many further than that. Yeah, yeah. You'll not any hat tricks scoring like that. And in fact, you'll probably find you'll struggle to find a lot of hat tricks because the games just went that bad. It's just yeah. Um, well, I mean the 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 Sadio Mane one's the fastest Premier League. So the fastest since nineteen ninety two in the Premier League is two minutes fifty six seconds, which is you know still pretty good going, but it's you know almost three minutes. Which is twice the time for the for the the fastest. Yeah, I love I love I love I love reading about things like that and um, you know just delving into them a wee bit more. Um, so 
Tommy Ross, Ross County beaten by one second for a... You must be gutted. <laughs> you, you make, honestly. Yeah. How long did they hold it for? I'm not sure because um, I, I don't know when that, that one was um, done. I mean, the, the Swedish one was 95. Tommy Ross, the Ross County, I mean, it's sort of... It probably sound. I, I don't know when Tommy Ross played. I mean, he doesn't. Nineteen forty-six. He was born, so he would have played sixty-one to sixty-five. So nineteen sixty-one to nineteen sixty-five is when he he played for Ross County. He scored his first goal for the club um, at the age of fifteen as well. So it was the twenty-eighth of November, nineteen sixty-four, when he scored three goals within a ninety-second period. His record was not recognised until April two thousand and four with the official record being held by Jimmy O'Connor of Dublin side Shelburne for his 2 minutes 14 seconds treble against Bohemians. So obviously, yeah, he beat that. Tommy Ross beat the Jimmy O'Connor one. And then Magnus Arvidsson beat it in 1995. So, you know, there's there's got to be... There's got to be a limit, isn't there? There's got to be a... a bit that you think, nah, that's not going to be... We say, we say that about lots of things, but... There's got to be a limit. Ah, you, you, you've got to think as well. As you said, and you're talking about it there. Now, if you think, take centre, take centre, halfway line. So rough, roughly, football pitch, hundred meters, hundred meters mm. average. Yeah. Yeah. So 50 meters, fifty meters, a uh, hundred meter sprinters doing it in about nine point six seconds or something <laughs> like that. Right? So they're not going to be as quick with that. Yeah. In about 15, 20 seconds, and this guy done it in a minute. What? Minute and twenty nine. A minute twenty nine. Yeah. So it's been literally thirty seconds. Like I mean, that's one... that's the goalkeeper kicking it back to them, isn't it? Aye. I tell you what, if I was a goal if I was a goalkeeper and somebody scored two goals within like a minute, and you could see, I'd, I'd be I'd be holding onto that ball. I'd be like, no, oh. no, no, man, I'm wasting time, man. I'm I'm not I'm not being another end of the record. But the it's, it's frightening. That's you know what I mean when you think about it and you try to break it down like that. That is frightening. Yeah. You know, time takes centre. So centre's included in that at all. Mm. It's nuts. Absolutely nuts. Okay. Right, listen, page 32 is on... I'm jumping ahead a wee bit here. Um, page 32, on the ball, crossword. So it's a variety of differing levels of difficulty in the questions. 16 across, Dundee United that play at T something, 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 a dice park. I don't know what that <laughs> could be. Um, 17 across... Party T something 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 T L E plate for Hill. Now this one I don't I don't know. So if we get our thinking caps on this, so twenty seven across. If Doncaster gives ten, then what does Clyde Bank give? Now my my first thought with this was oh it's the number of letters in in the team name, but Doncaster only has nine letters, so I've no idea. It's it's like one of these um, dusty bin, you know. Then what does Clay Bank do? Mm. Ah, we'll we'll leave that. Listen, we we could we could be here all day for that. You know, as I say, it's it's, it's like a three two one when he comes up with that riddle sort of thing at the end. You're like, what? What the? Right. Um. So we'll move on to page thirty three, and it's Gibson Firepower. So this is about Willie Gibson, a Partick Thistle. Um. So just I'll I'll give a wee profile. Willie first. Um, he was born in St Andrews in 1953. He's a forward. He started off at Hearts between 73 and 81. Played 245 league games, scoring 85 goals. 
Uh, we had a short spell at uh, Partick Thistle, the spell between 81 and 82 at Wraith Rovers, and then finished up at Cowdenbeath. Now, the picture from the article is potentially from the game versus Ross County, which is mentioned in the article. So, Willie says, I have gone as far as I can with Hearts. Possibly a move now would be the best thing for me. Now, that's a quote of Willie Gibson last season, well at Hearts, now a Partick Thistle player. Peter Cormack played £35,000 for him. He was the top scorer in six out of eight seasons at Hearts. A goal less than every three games. He scored a hat-trick in his debut for Partick Thistle in a pre-season friendly against Ross County. And he says, I just hope they continue to flow as they did in that game. Now I hope to continue the trend throughout my new career at Firhill. So just a wee spoiler here, he didn't. He ended up scoring two goals at Partick Thistle, so it didn't really um, work out for him. So there's no mention of any Scottish caps of Willie. However, he appears in the 1977 top Scottish yellowback cards as one of Shoots editor's picks for the Scottish All-Stars. Um, and in that card, Willie is photoshopped in a blue top. The impression of this set that I always took away with these cards was that they were Scottish internationalists. Um, it's strange that it's taken me to this point to realise that this wasn't actually the case. Yes, I. Yeah, you know, you know the ones I mean. It was like there was the shoots all stars, but I always just thought that they were just Scottish players, like they played international. People, I can remember them. But that, to be fair, going back to that team, I think that he played in. Patrick Thistle were a strong team, kind of late seventies, early eighties, weren't they? They were a strong team then. I think it was was it what was the year they beat Celtic in the League Cup? Seventy one. Seventy one. Yeah. Was it, but did Rob yeah. well? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Bloody hell, he must have... I didn't realise his, his career was as long because I remember him in the 80s vaguely as well. Mm. Who's Alan Ruff? Huh? Yeah, yeah. We, we spoke about this. Ruff uh, moved from Thistle to Hibs. He was at Hamilton and Celtic, or Celtic and then Hamilton as well. In Canada as well. Didn't yeah, he? yeah, he did. Yeah. So, so Willie actually only played two league games for Partick Thistle, scoring one. So he had a one in every two games goal scoring record. Unfortunately, only played two games. But as I say about the card, on on the back of the card that the the shoot All Stars one, it says he's a highly underrated striker for our subs bench, it, and it mentions he scored a hat trick against Celtic, um, for Hearts, and they still ended up on the losing side. So that's gonna smart a little bit, isn't it? Yeah. So you want the answer to that crossword? Aye, aye, go on. Question. So well, the the answers are in the the answers are in the magazine. Are they? Answers on page forty-one. Yeah, well. So, if Doncaster gives ten, what does Claybank give? And it's three, and the answer is any. So it's the seventh and eighth letters, and then the third letter. So, Doncaster's ten. So T E is the seventh and eighth letter, and N is the third letter. So the answer is any. So it's Claybank. The seventh and eighth letters are A and N. Ah, right, okay. And the third letter's Y. Okay, so it's a a position of the T, E and N within Doncaster, and you take the same letters from the same position, or you take the letters from the same positions within Clybank, and it's N. Yeah, and it's N. That's crap. Yeah. Yeah. I am not not getting that one at all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you in this. So the last one we're going to look at here is... What are we going to look at here, the last one? You might tell me if I'm wrong. Is that John Broken? Was it Yoker? That Broken? Yeah, it is. Aye. Yeah. Aye. It is. That's quite a feat as well. I'll never kick a ball for them. 
So it's hundred thousand pound deal to Hibs had fallen through. Once tipped to join Celtic, was not happy. He preferred to play golf on a Saturday rather than even su- support the pair of Saints. So the article in the magazine here begins telling the tale of a fallout between Brogan and St Johnston when a hundred thousand pound deal to Hibs fell through. This led Brogan to withdraw his services from the club and he essentially stayed away, not even turning up on match days to watch the game. With the arrival of Alex Rennie, John had a change of heart as he bought into the ideas and thoughts for the future of the club. Um, But a spoiler, St Johnson went on to finish this season in 5th place, 8 points behind the promotion spots. They were going to win the first division the following season. So we'll just take a look at John Brogan's um, profile here. So he's 21 years playing and 30 years managing. So, yeah, he was born in Hamilton in 1954. He started at Blantyre Celtic, uh, moved to Albion Rovers, 1972-77 he was there. 124 league games, 32 goals. He then moved to St. Johnson between 77 and 84, playing 244 league games, scoring 114 goals. He had a short spell at Hibs, a short spell on loan at Air United, he then moved to Hamilton Ackies, um, 84-87, uh, Stilling Albion, be- Albion between 87 and 93, um, which is where he was player-manager and finished his playing career there. He then managed at Broth, Armadale Thistle, Blantyre Vicks, East Kilbride Thistle, Yoker Athletic, BSC Glasgow, Lanark United, Wishaw Juniors and Albion Rovers. He managed for a short spell in 2018. So he was the top scorer in the first division in 1979-1980 and scored 36 goals in all competitions in 1982-83. St Johnston won the title and were promoted to the Premier Division. When St Johnston were relegated the next season, he moved to Hearts, returning back to the Premier. That didn't work out and he moved to Air United on loan before joining his hometown club, Hamilton, Hamilton Ackies, in December 84 under the management of John Lambie. Hamilton won the first division in 85-86, with Brogan winning the division's player of the year. He finished his playing career at Stirling Albion, where he became, later became player manager. Uh, they won the second division in 1991 and reached the Scottish Cup quarter-final in 1991. And that was the year that Clybank knocked him out and went on to face Celtic in the semi-final. He was sacked in 1994 with the club facing relegation caused by the reorganisation of the SFL. He moved to a broth before moving into junior football management where he enjoyed success with a number of clubs. He joined Albion Rovers in May 2018 but only enjoyed a short spell as he left in October 2018 with the Rovers sitting at the bottom of the league. Do you do you know John personally? I know I don't know him uh, that well, but I know of him. I've come up against him with Joe Yoker as well and a couple of other places. Uh, also um a friend's mine has played with him but still in Albion as well. Mm-hmm. I think he's quite quite a hardy old fella, do you know what I mean? He's quite old school, proper old school, hard as nails uh, type player as well, aggressive. I think also his assistant, Tom Yoke at the time, I think might have been Jim George, was it? I could have been, no. I think his assistant was Jim George, because I think he played up at St Johnson as well, so that might be the connection there right. as well. But I've not seen him in a while. I've not seen Rogsy in a long time, but Obviously, he's been a good player. I, I knew he played, but I didn't realise you know, how well he was. But yeah. he's obviously been a bit of a player in his time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is quite impressive. You know, there's not a lot of people can say that, you know, especially in 1982, somebody was going to buy him for £100,000. Yeah, it's a lot of money. A lot of money. So, yeah, play him, which is good. I've not seen him in a long time. Mm. 
So the, the last thing I'm going to look at, and this this comes back to um, what we spoke about earlier on. If you go to page 38 as an advert, and this is Roy the Rover Sportswear by Gola. Would this have been the strip that you would have had? Let me see. It was I. <laughs> so this is a full-page colour advert of Roy Race in the stunning new Melchester Rovers red and yellow Gola kit. Tell you, I was telling like, it wasn't Army Navy stores. I got it. You know where I got it? Lumley's. Right. Okay. So- yeah. Yeah. Okay. So Roy Roy looks resplendent in the Gola boots as well with the yellow flashes and red studs. I just love red studs. It's it all comes back to the 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 World Cup boots, the Adidas World Cup boots with the the red studs, and it just it just finishes it off for me. The drawing itself is often commented on due to the strange positioning of Roy's arms. So if you look at his arms, it doesn't look physically possible for normal jointed people to actually. It's like you see, it, it just doesn't look right. Um, I mean, it's nitpicking. I accept that, but um, the kits and kitten boots were available from leading sports shops throughout the country. So Lumley's, as you say there, and occasionally still pop up. Occasionally still pop up for sale online. I have seen a few over the years, but yeah, it's just it's beautiful, isn't it? No, it's a great strip. Actually, it's like a fond memory. You know, you remember going to Lumley's with my mum to get it. So I do. Brilliant. enough. Gola boots were terrible. They were another one. As soon as they got wet, they end up being about six sizes too big. Too. <laughs> they, 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 they didn't look as though they had much um, leeway in them. There wasn't. Um, they looked quite rigid. But I don't. I don't know if I had a pair. Tom, shall we quickly delve into the Celtic match day program? Website? Celtic match day. Okay. So, so, so just to let you know, we're 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 sponsored this season by Celtic match day, who are on. It's actually Celtic underscore match day on Twitter. We have said Celtic match day and other ones. Um, but it's it's a it's a free online resource, and they have a website as well where they they have scanned in years and years worth of Celtic matchday programs, and so you can go into there and check them out. And there's um, ticket stubs and things as well. So if you, if you want to actually CelticMatchday.com, and hopefully Tom's picked something interesting out for us to look at. What what year do we what year do we want to go to send Celtic programs? Well, let's open up something from 1993. Now you've got, I'm on the web page, yeah. Okay, so if you look at there's an archive bit at the top, and if you just click on that or move your mouse over it, it gives you a, a list, and just pick 1993. So you can see all the different years that are in there. And the, shall we pick the Celtic versus Kilmarnock, 2nd of October, 1993? We may as well have a look okay, at that. Okay, look, a nil-nil draw. Well, I think this is the one... I think this is the one where the, the Fox came on the pitch that. Well, let me just double-check if <laughs> wrong. I and I'm sure. Let me see other subs. Did the gaffer play that night? Let's see other subs. Andrew Graham, Billy Stark, Callum Campbell as subs. You've got um, Andy Millen on starting there, who you've mentioned a few times. Yeah, yeah. Bobby Gates, Bobby G was a good goalie as well. We Gus, Gus a great wee guy. I still see Gus nowadays. Mm-hmm. Black, really nice guy as well. Ditchard, Ray Montgomery, Mark Skillen. You talk. See, see again another guy that was as nice as anything. The Ray Montgomery, you're talking about hard as nails, yeah. but yet all part such a nice guy. Um, Matt Riley as well, another wee guy as well. But um, I'm sure that was a game for the had Peter Pan, Danny Craney. Brilliant. Yeah. So, so if we, I mean, it's obviously got the team selection. There's a Meet My Mate, so it's the the Kamarnock players' profiles or some photographs as well. Peter Pan, yeah, as it says, Workshy, McCluskey. We've got a lifestyle. This is your lifestyle, Mark McNally. 
So there doesn't seem to be, I mean, the one we looked at before, there doesn't seem to be a huge amount of um, adverts, but, you know, there are more pages in this one, so it probably doesn't feel as much as one of the other ones we looked at. Um, yeah. There's a fan club profile. Uh, you've been hooked, so I always like that, the idea of that thing, the, you know, capturing somebody in the crowd and, you know, you get a prize or something if, you know, you get in touch and prove that it's you. Just looking through it, there's action replay, Celtic versus Young Boys. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, which there's a wee picture there, Joe Jordan there. Yeah. Giving them a team talk just before extra time. And also, uh, uh, just looking at the way the numbers are displayed in the back of that, in the back of the shirt then, mm-hmm. where they've got the... the Hoops, but there's a sort of an extra green portion to display the numbers in white. Yeah, broken, but the broken hoops. Yeah, that was because yeah. Celtic used to only wear their numbers on their shorts. Yeah. In Europe, yeah, yeah, but they, they, they would wear numbers in in Europe, and UEFA made them wear numbers. Yeah, uh, bef- before they started wearing numbers on their on their shirts. So I mean, again, there's there's loads of stuff in here, um, and and this is what we're encouraging people to do: go on, even if you're not a Celtic supporter, you'll still find loads of Good. stuff in here about your club or other clubs, and it's it's just in the same way looking at shoot magazines and match magazines, the cards and stuff. It's it's just great to look at, you know, the nostalgia. There's a page where Tommy's and I'm assuming it's like a an interview, but he's he's sitting on the the Kamarnock seats. In the stand, yeah. there, looking quite relaxed. So, yeah, so Celtic underscore matchday on Twitter or CelticMatchday.com on the website. And say it's all free there. Just go on, have a look about, get in touch with them if you've got any questions for them. Um, so they, they, they are sponsoring the show, so that's very much appreciated. So let's try and help them out and then um, get on there and, you know, get them some traffic and get them some interest in it. And as we said... You don't have to be a Celtic fan to to appreciate what's in what's in here. Absolutely not. So l- listen, we're going to have just a little um, bit about the, our charity partner back on side. Um, I'll just read this out. So here in the UK, one in four people will experience a mental health illness each year. Mental health includes a person's emotional, psychological, and social well-being. An obvious widespread problem. Yet it's estimated that only a quarter of sufferers receive ongoing treatment leaving the majority of the UK population tackling these debilitating issues on their own. Here at Back On Side, we have recognised this ongoing dilemma and are determined to rebuild a society where no young person or adult is left tackling mental health problems alone. So as we always say, please, at Back On Side, um, follow them on Twitter, help them out, you know, whether it's just following them and supporting them or indeed donating to them. And I think especially... You know where we are at the moment with the the virus, the coronavirus, and you know there will be more people who who certainly need mental health support at this this period in time. So you know they they do need their help. Um. So you know if if you can subscribe, you know if you can donate through the button on the website through us or just go directly to them. Either way, I'm more than happy with that. We know the script here in terms of there'll be a another web page as, as, you know to go with this where we'll put everything on it we'll put a donate button so what we'll probably have to do because we now have two shows from the one magazine I'm going to have to find two magazines now for <laughs> you know if, if someone does decide to donate and you know basically get the raffle ticket again we'd like to as always say a thanks to Pete, we- Pete Wiley of the Mighty Wah for the use of the, the music story of the blues in the intro and outro of the, the show 
and you can catch up with Pete on www.petewiley.co.uk. And lastly, we'd like to thank our producer Diane Jarden, who's always there for us, always, um, you know, even even when we're not in the studio, she's still helping out, giving us support, advice and things like that. So please check out transmissionroom, all one word, .co.uk, where you can book music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clydebank. So please, absolutely, we recommend, you know, working with Diane if you need any of that sort of, um, that sort of work. Um, please support everybody on there. And if you're listening to this, thank you. Um, I'd just like to say thank you, Tom, for being Tom. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Al, for um, being Al and joining us again for another thoroughly entertaining day. I enjoyed it. Brilliant, thank you. And from me, um, again, thank you for listening, for for downloading, for uh, subscribing, for sharing. Uh, Please keep continuing to do it um, and look after yourselves and look after those around you as well. So until the next time, let's shoot the breeze.